Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for Your Word. We ask that by Your power this morning, You would open our hearts to Your Word. We ask that You take Your Word this morning and grant us a fresh vision of the life You've called us to live. God, we thank You for Your promises in Your Word this morning. We ask that You take Your promises and burn them in our minds and in our hearts. God, take Your Word and have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Whose kid is that? I'm sure that you've said that phrase a time or two, or someone has probably said that about your kid. Usually it's said when a kid's conduct is not exactly matching expectations, or when a kid's conduct actually goes against their normal behavior. I've got the, I shouldn't say duty thing, I've got the opportunity to pick our child up from uh, daycare every day and we pick her up from daycare, usually get some sort of daily report of what happened. Usually the daily report is pretty simple, all went well, good, diapers, whatever, you don't want that information thing. But every once in a while, you'll get the report, she ate five chicken nuggets today thing. And for some, it's like, okay, but for us, that's like, whose kid is that? We can't get her to sit down and even eat one. How is she eating five? You see, her behavior and her conduct isn't reflecting what we usually know about her. This morning, the main message in Colossians chapter 3 that we're dealing with, that the author is concerned about, the author is concerned that people's conduct reflects who they are. There's some stuff going on that's causing the author to take a second look and say, 
Hey, whose kids are you? Whose people are you? Who is your God? This conduct doesn't seem to be in line with who you are. This morning, as we continue to understand the implications of the resurrection, we begin to understand that our conduct should reflect the resurrection. Our conduct should reflect the resurrection because God is making all things new, including you. Hopefully you remember that from last week. Last week we talked about how the resurrection restores all things. And today we're going to flesh it out a little bit further that God is making us new in his image. Now go and reflect that image. God is making us new in his image. Now go and reflect that image. Basically, our conduct should flow from our identity as people who have been chosen by God, as people who have been redeemed by God. And so what we see here in Colossians chapter 3 is kind of a back and forth between two different things. On one hand, you've got a lot of statements of what has been done. And then you've got a lot of statements on do this. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. There's a little back and forth going on here in the first couple of verses. So in verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where he is seated at the right hand of God. The first part of the sentence, If then you have been raised with Christ, is saying something that's been done to us. It's basically saying, Therefore, because you are new in Jesus, because you have new life in Christ, you are forgiven. And then it says the do. Seek the things that are above. Because when, when God sees us, what he sees us as, is he sees us as citizens of heaven. He sees us as sitting with Christ at the banqueting table. That's something that's been done to us by God. And now God is saying, okay, do this because of what's been done. Now verse three, verse 2 and 3 goes the other direction. 2 starts with the command by saying, Set your minds on things that are above. And then verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So verse 3 is saying, verse 2 is saying, do this. And then verse 3 gives the reason why, because this has been done. So verse 2 is saying, hey, you need to put your minds off this earthly stuff. Why? Because in verse 3 of what has been done to you, what's been done to you is that you are now united with Jesus. It's no longer just you, yourself, and you. Or you, yourself, me, myself, and I. How do you say it the other way? It's no longer me, myself, and I. It's what? It's Jesus and I. We're united together. This is what God has done. He's he's united us to Jesus. This is our identity. I now see myself as a follower of Christ. And so now he's saying, okay, because of your union to Jesus, you need to do this. Now verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So verse 4 doesn't say anything for us to do. It just says what God is going to do. So what is God going to do? God is going to transform us into the image of Jesus when Jesus returns. And this is what we've talked about over Easter, how our glorious hope is that when Jesus returns, we're resurrected to be just like Jesus. This is what's going to happen to us. This is our future restoration. So we've got what God has done to us. God has 
died for us and rose from the dead and we've been united to that crucifixion and resurrection spiritually. That's what's been done. And now we've got what God is going to do. He's going to restore us in complete glory when Jesus comes. So based on what he has done and based on what he is going to do, we hear the command of what to do. So there is a role for us in this. And what we are to do is set our minds or to to reflect those truths that God says about us. So if you look at verses 5 through 17, if you had to summarize verses 5 through 17, which now gets into the listing of what to do, basically this is what it's saying. Reflect that you are God's. Reflect that you are God's child. That's exactly what it is. That's who you are. Now behave like it. Kind of like saying to a, reminding your child, hey, whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? And basically that's what God's saying to us today, saying, hey, are you reflecting your identity? Are you reflecting what God has done for you? There should be some new conduct in your life. So let's take some time and unpack this conduct that should be flowing from our lives. There's new conduct, which means what? There was old conduct. There is bad news here. Verses 5 through 9 flesh out the bad news, basically telling us, hey, this type of conduct you need to get rid of. Let's look at the type of conduct we need to get rid of. Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and then down a little bit further, verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. That's the old conduct that God is saying, hey, This is not consistent with being my child. It's kind of like when you go to that person that loves to bake. And I used to have a, my godmother used to make chocolate chip cookies all the time. And it was my favorite chocolate chip cookies. And so anytime in the summer I'd stop at the farm over there, would always try and have some chocolate chip cookies. Well, something's kind of happened over the years. Don't let her know I'm saying this. But... She's got grandchildren now, and I think she's a little bit distracted from her responsibility to me thing. And, um, and so what happens now is the cookies just aren't the same. A couple of times I've shown up and the bottoms are just a little bit harder than normal thing. There's not that same soft chewiness. And I, and I just want to say, this isn't consistent with who you are because I expect perfection thing. And, and basically what God is saying, he's saying, hey, This type of stuff, this is not consistent with who you are. This is not consistent with claiming the name of Jesus. Well, why is it not consistent? What's wrong with this stuff? Well, if you went and unpacked each of these things, what's wrong with this stuff is that this stuff breaks community. And why is it such a big deal that each of this stuff breaks community? Think of sexual immorality. What does it do? It hurts other people. What does anger do? When you're angry at someone, what does it do? It affects your relationship with them. When you're lying to someone, what does it do? <laughs> Breaks that, affects that relationship. All of these things affect community. And you and I, as it says in Genesis chapter 1, we were created in the image of God. Now, this is getting a little bit deep thing. But this is critical to understand. If we are created in the image of God, it means that we are created relational creatures. Because when I say God, I actually mean Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God 
We believe the Bible teaches that God is three distinct beings, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one perfect God. So really, God is in perfect relationship. So if you read the Gospels, what you see is you see Jesus says, I came because the Father sent me. And then Jesus says, and I will send the Holy Spirit. What happens is they never work outside of each other. The Spirit's never over here working on something that Jesus has not authorized or Jesus is not a part of. And where Jesus is going, the Father has already been and is already sending. So the three are constantly working together because they're in perfect unity. They have the perfect community, you could say. The Trinity is the perfect community. God is relational. So when it says that you and I are created in the image of God, it means that we're supposed to reflect that perfect unity, that perfect relationship. What do these things do? They break relationship. That's why it's such a big deal, is because then we're breaking the image of God. That God created the universe to display His glory, to display His greatness, and we display His greatness in how we relate to one another. And when we have these things going on, we're actually breaking the image of God. We're not displaying His greatness at all. And what's the effect then? What's the outcome of breaking the image of God? Look with me, if you would, at verse 6. Very sobering. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because we are not displaying the image of God, God is bringing His wrath. Now notice this very closely. Look with me if you would at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. On account of this, the wrath of God is coming. Did I miss something in there? Yes, I missed the other things in the list. Right? Is God's wrath coming because of sexual immorality? Absolutely. But God's wrath is also coming because of being covetousness. God's wrath is also coming because of deceit. God's wrath is also coming because of malice. This morning, if you and I were to look at this list, we would see that you and I are responsible for God's wrath coming. The reason that God's wrath is coming is not because of them out there. The reason God's wrath is coming is because all of humanity has not displayed the image of God. What's happened is, is we've just taken the first one in the list and forgotten the rest. You're responsible for God's wrath. Notice what it says here. God's wrath. It doesn't say the devil's punishment. This, this is God is going to pour out punishment for going against His ways. We don't talk about this. We don't even think about this a majority of the time. But everything from the Scriptures, if you read the Bible faithfully and consistently, what you see is a just God. That God punishes. That God brings His wrath when His will is not done. And this morning, 
we see that the reason for God's wrath coming is our behavior. You know, when I was growing up, you knew what was going to bring your mother's wrath. Right? When you're playing around in the living room and you actually knock off that thing that's on the end table, what's the thought process? Hurry up. Get it glued back together and get it right back in the exact same position. Because if you don't, what's going to happen? You've got chores for like the next month. And you knew what was going to bring it about and you also knew what? You knew what the consequences were going to be. And you also knew in your heart of hearts that you could not hide the wrongdoing from your mother. Right? How many times did you try and glue that thing back together and be like, oh, it's perfect. I mean, I can't tell. Can you tell? No, it's good. Mom walks in. What's the first thing she sees? Hey, who took the wing off the angel over there? There was no hiding from mom. And you knew the consequences. Today, and for eternity, there's no hiding from God. And God has actually given us a gift. He's given us a gift in that He's clearly laid out the things that bring His wrath. He's revealed to us the very things that go against His will. That's a gift to us. And He's clearly laid out the consequences. He's laid out the punishment. Now, the fact that God's wrath is coming, it doesn't necessarily should be our motivation for good behavior. However, at the same time, when you knew your mother's wrath was coming, it affected you a little bit. You've lived in awareness of it. We need to live in awareness of the wrath of God. This is how serious these things are. This is how serious malice and lying, this is how serious impurity is, is that God is willing to bring punishment God has made us aware of what brings His wrath. And it's these very things that God is saying, hey, just get out of that stuff. It's not for your good because it breaks relationships, it breaks community, and it's not consistent with who you are. But today, the good news is that because of who we are in God, because of verses 1 through 4, what it says about us being placed in the heavenlies, about us being hidden with Christ, because of that good news, we no longer have to face the wrath of God. But when we remain in Jesus Christ, we stand forgiven. And if we remain in Christ, we do not have to fear the wrath of God. So what new conduct should flow from us? What should flow from us when we put to death this old way? Look with me at verses 12 through 14. Now God's Word begins to lay out for us the new thing. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness, love. What do these things do? These things create healthy relationships. These things bring restoration where there's hurt. The the basic message here in verses 12 through 14 is, hey, do unto others what God has done unto you. Do unto others what God has done unto you. You know, this is what we need to teach our children. We need to 
stop with it. Well, hey, if they treated you that way, it's your right, right then to respond the exact same way. No. We need to raise up our children that says, do unto others the way in which God has done unto you. And what has God done unto us? He's been compassionate. He's withheld His wrath. He's been extremely patient. He's been forgiving. And He's been loving. And He's exhibited great humility in the fact that He left the heavens and came and lived here on earth as a human being. This is what God has done for us. Now God is saying, do this for one another. What God has done for us, we should do for one another. Now, where this becomes interesting, verses 12 through 14, everybody here is in agreement this morning, right? No one's going to stand up and say, hey, no, we shouldn't be compassionate. No, we shouldn't be patient with one another, right? We all agree about this. The problem is we agree in the clouds about this, that this is some great ideal. This is not a great ideal. This is supposed to be practical reality in our everyday lives. That God is actually asking us in our workplaces to extend patience with one another. Forbearance with one another. And what that means is, what this really means is putting up with one another. You are all really weird thing. And you do stuff that bothers me. Yet I put up with you thing. You know what? There's people that do stuff that really bothers you. And that stuff it may, not, may not be sin. It's just weird stuff. Everybody in here has got weird stuff. If you live with someone, just ask them when you get home today. Now, at the workplace, for example, you might be stuck next to that person that buys the bag of candy where it's all in the, still in its wrapper. Rather than buying the big candy that everything's unwrapped. So throughout the day, what are they doing? They're slowly unwrapping each piece of candy. Have you ever noticed how loud a slow unwrap is? And it just drives you nuts. You're thinking to yourself, okay, you go through like 40 of those co-worker. Why don't you just buy a bag of unwrapped ones? So what do you think to yourself? Well, hey, they're a jerk. This drives me nuts. I'm going to be a jerk to them. But what God's Word is telling us this morning is just because they're doing something odd, they're doing something that bothers us, that gives us no right to treat them the exact same way. Just because someone does something that maybe is unfamiliar to us, that gives us no right to, to be impatient. That gives us no right to slander them. Actually, we're supposed to treat them just like they were acting perfectly. Even in the midst of them acting imperfectly, we're asked to treat them as though they're acting perfectly. This morning, we could all do a great, take a great step if we said, you know what, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our friendships, we're going to take these things and we're going to put them into action. We're going to treat our spouse the way that God has treated us. We're going to treat our boss the way that God has treated us. We're going to reflect to one another what's been given to us by God. This is the type of conduct that's consistent with someone who claims the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody here today has a reference point for their conduct. Everybody's got a reference point for why you do what you do, right? I mean, you don't just do something you're like, well, I don't know where I came up with that from. None of us are smart enough to think originally. 
We all just copy everything else. Think of your home for a second. Why do you cook the way you cook? Your mother. So, when you're making cheesy potatoes, do you put on chips? Do you put on crackers? Or do you put on cornflakes? Well, you don't just go, I don't just put something on. You put on what you grew up putting on. So in our house, what happens? We've got two reference points. One is right, one is wrong, but we still have two things. So when it comes to cheesy potatoes, half of it is chips, half of it is cornflakes. Because you've got two different reference points. This morning, all of us have a reference point for our behavior. The question is, is that reference point the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Look with me, if you would, back up to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1 and verse 2. What is it saying to do? Seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. Why? Because that's our reference point. That's what, that's what we use to see if things are level. If we use, that's what we use to compare and see if things are square, is things in the kingdom of God. Our reference point is not the majority of culture. Our reference point is not, well, we've always done it that way, so that's the way we do it. Our reference point is King Jesus in heaven. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 10 through 12. It's saying, hey, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, it's saying this, hey, look back to your reference point, who is what? Your creator. That's where the plumb line is. What's your reference point this morning? Is your reference point what everybody else is doing? Is your reference point what is comfortable? Or is your reference point King Jesus? The reason that the majority of times our conduct does not reflect the reality of our identity is because our reference point is not King Jesus. And the reason that our reference point is not King Jesus is because we've made Jesus into an accessory. I love Christmas. Kind of get to go out and do shopping, and we play weird games in our family, things that are probably people like, geez, that's, you know, you gamble at Christmas? Kind of thing. Um, so you go out and you buy gifts for people, and I just love it because you walk in, all the stores got the end, the end caps, you know, with all of the weird little accessories thing. They get me every time thing. And so you walk in, you're like, I have to have that. You know the knife that has everything on it? The spoon, the compass thing, the flash drive. You're like, I, I, mean, I don't think I can work without that knife. You know, the last go around, there's this coin counter thing. Have you ever seen these coin counters? They always come out around Christmas at the end of the shelf, and you're like, man, we've got a lot of change at home. Can you just imagine putting in the coin and just levels it all out nicely in stacks? Where do those accessories always end up? The dumpster. We've actually got a little box in one of our rooms right now that still has all of those gifts from Christmas in it. Thing. Why? Well, they're just little add-ons. Oh, nice, but not essential. It's the same thing we've done with Jesus. We've made Jesus an accessory. Something to add on to make life a little more useful, maybe make life a little more attractive, or to make life a little more effective. But the reality is, Jesus is not an accessory. 
He's not something to add on. But what we see here in verse 11, it says, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, Christ is king. In other words, everything belongs to him. And then look with me at verse 17. He finishes up this whole paragraph of thought by saying, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) He said everything, word or deed, whatever you do, Do it as though you were acting on behalf of Jesus. Do it where Jesus would be honored. That doesn't sound like an accessory. That sounds like Jesus is it. He is king. This morning, God is seeking to make all things new, including you. And God is making you new by putting you in the image of Jesus Christ that you would reflect that image to the world around you. Today, does your conduct reflect the resurrection? Or does your conduct bring about the wrath of God? Thanks be to God that He has given us victory through Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, who has lived the perfect life, and is an example for you and I today, but more than an example, He is the sacrifice where we receive the forgiveness of sin. Today, we have victory in Jesus, and we proclaim that victory by having conduct that reflects Jesus as our King. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning and acknowledge that oftentimes our conduct has not reflected Jesus as King. God, we acknowledge this morning that oftentimes we have treated one another the way that we've been treated. We ask this morning now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do something amazing in us, that by your power you would enable us to treat one another the way that you've treated us. God, thank you for the patience you've given us. Thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for extending forgiveness. Now, God, I ask, that you would enable us to do the same in our marriages, with our children, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. God, this morning, I pray for anyone who's been hurt through conduct that is detrimental to community. God, I pray that you'd bring healing today. God, I pray that today you would empower us to live faithfully unto you. Thank you for giving us victory. In Jesus' name, amen.